This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Good afternoon. This is Irene Gahan sitting in for Jerry Kelly on the late lunch today. We have a packed show with guests and music for you. But first, a very incredibly sad story. Almost 30,000 euro worth of COVID dogs have been surrendered to a Mead Animal Rescue Service in the last six months because of behavioural issues. And so much so that they've, Chris Kelly, you've had to close the Kilronan Animal Rescue Centre in Ballyiver. Is that right? Uh, good afternoon, Irene. Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, at this point in time, we've had to close. Just that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. It's they're young dogs, and these dogs need to be worked with, and that's part of the reason for the the closure at this time. Just that we can put time and effort into working with them. And how? And what kind of issues are you? Behavioural issues are you seeing with them? Well, it, it's a lot of it is biting issues. Okay. Um, just let away with it as pups because it was funny. Oh. As pups nipping at hands and, you know, and it, it is funny. But as it gets older, it develops into something more serious. And the perfect example is a little cocker spaniel here that was put into a vet at 19 months old to be put asleep because oh. of that. Oh, that's heartbreaking. And what do you think the reason is? This Were, the, were these all dogs that people got over COVID when, you know, they were at home and they had that little bit more time and now everyone's kind of gone back into the office or gone back to work and they don't have that time? Or was it just they didn't really prepare or think about, you know, the things that puppies do and how to actually, you know, how to actually train them as a puppy? Well, that covered a lot lot of it. Look, a lot of the problem was the dogs weren't socialised. Be- okay. because of lockdowns they weren't meeting other people they weren't meeting other dogs they were in a bubble at home okay and that's a lot when, when, when they're not being socialised yeah. they, oh. they become engrossed with the family and anything else outside of that is, is a threat yeah, and I mean, and they all they do say. I mean, all vets, you know, they do say that when you get a puppy, you should bring them to puppy classes. You, you know, it's a dog. You need a license to have a dog. So, you know, you have to turn, learn how to train them. You have to teach them, um, and they are part of the family. But again, you, you know, you, you have to look after them. So, you, thirty thousand is an awful lot of euro worth of co- dogs being let go. I mean, it, it's what kind of dogs have you been seeing being give, being handed in? There was uh, from cockapoos. Okay. Uh, 
golden doodles. One particular dog, a Newfie Poo, Newfoundland cross with a poodle, seven months old. Oh. I know, I know for a fact he, he was 1850 euros. <gasps> wow. I hold him for five, I had him for five months, and then it just, it was, they didn't research the breed. It was too big for the back garden. So just handed it into a rescue. So that's put an awful lot of pressure on you guys. It's put massive pressure on every rescue in the country. Yeah. Because of the fact now that a lot of rescues are full and in the same boat as us, the pounds are starting to fill up. And what's the and what's the plan now? I mean, do you have a plan? And it must be heartbreaking, firstly, for you guys, because I could only just imagine your team and how you know looking after the looking after these puppies and looking after these effectively unwanted dogs. At what you know, what are you guys? Are you are you looking for rescue people? You know, for rescue parents or rescue owners or what are you? What's your plan now for the next while? Our next, like obviously, as as you know, we're close for the next couple of months, and yeah. our, our time will solely be put into working with the dogs that have issues that we can get them ready for rehoming. And get them um, trained. Get them trained, put some work into them. Uh, just, that's the reason we have to close because when you're constantly going, you don't have the time to put into 30 dogs when certain dogs need certain help. Absolutely. I mean, and particularly walking. I mean, you see outside, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people got dogs over lockdown over the last few years and it's lovely to see a lot of dogs out being out walked every morning but it's a huge responsibility. It's a massive responsibility. Mm. Like like raising a dog, a pup, it, it's no different than raising a child. It well, has to be. It has to be done with the same discipline. Yes, and, um, and to, to bring the pup on, like people, people just look at people came home from work into lockdown. Dogs were bought as babysitters. Right. Okay. The kids had nothing to do. The parents were working from home. And then when schools and work went back, dogs were left. They were suffering from separation anxiety. Yeah, being left you know. at home all day. And then they're getting destructive as well. So, and Absolutely. Destroy a house when they're left there. And when they come home from work, I'm not coming home to that every evening. Yeah. The dog has to go. Yeah, and so what's the, so they're so they're coming to you. So what do you think the situation is going to be now? I mean, if if as you see the, the animal rescue all over the country are um, overflowing and they don't have the capacity to to let any uh, to take any more rescues, what do you recommend if, if if a family are in this situation and they and they can't? What do you recommend? Should they go and try and get some training, or is it too late after they've kind of gone through the puppy stage? No, it's never it's never too late. Mm. Like there are trainers out there. Like put the effort into the dog. Yeah. It, it just don't discard it because of it, an, an, an issue that can be fixed. Absolutely. That's the problem. They're not willing to put it into the dog. And you know. So do you think then? How long would you think then it would take then to get you to train these sort of to retrain these dogs then to get them rehomed? Is it a long process or? Well, look, every dog is different. Yeah. It, it, it depends on how they take it. Now the, the cocker spinal is is coming slowly. I'm working with her for the last couple of weeks now intensely. And she she's she's an awful lot better. But she was she was never groomed as a pup, say. Oh. So she didn't know what grooming was or anyone touching her. So we had to groom her recently, but we had to get her knocked out to do it. Oh gosh. She was she was that vicious. Wow. You know, so like these things should be done as as a young dog, get them used to groomers. Get them used to the process of going in, 
even if it, if they're only brought in for a brush the first time, it doesn't necessarily have to. But get used to the noises, get used to everything. People are not doing that. They're leaving them too long and then it becomes an issue when you go to touch them. Yeah. It must be heartbreaking though for you. I I really do kind of, it really tugs at the heartstrings to think of having, you know, a a pet as part of your family, you know, and it becomes part of your family. So then to have to, I suppose, to surrender, to have given up, you know, there's probably give the dog, you know, give the dog a second chance. And as you say, try and find a trainer, try and actually put the time into the dog as well. Yeah, well, you see, what, what we're more concerned about is, we, I, I have two dogs here at the minute that are basically, that were found starved. Oh. And we're like, look, they're fine. And socially, they're fine. But they were discarded. So while we're dealing with dogs that have problems where people could have fixed themselves, we're, we're missing out on being able to take in the dogs that really need help. Yeah. The dogs that are being dumped on the sides of the roads and left and what kind of, I mean, I, I know, obviously, if you're in a house, we were in lockdown, a lot of people got, um, you know, a lot of do- small dogs or you know, a lot of big dogs need an awful lot of space. They need to run around. They need to be walked an awful lot. Um, like, how, do you have the space there? Do you like what kind of dogs do you have there at the moment? Do you have any of the bigger dogs? Are you looking for re- more? Are you taking on more rescue owners or are you are you looking for rescue owners then to to work with you? We're, we're we're looking we're look look obviously we any dog that we have here mm. now with issues when when the dog we feel is right yeah. will be put up on our page for rehoming. Okay. Um, oh. like but not until we're completely satisfied that the dog is a hundred percent. Yeah. You know. And in terms of the kind of excuses that people are coming to you with, I, I mean. Are they? Do you feel some of them are genuine? I mean, there must be some people who've, you know, their owner has passed away or whatever. There must be some genuine cases then that you have to turn away. There, there is always genuine. Look, not not everybody is is. You can't kind of tire everyone with the one brush. It's there are genuine people that have to hand in a dog due to a death or due to something happening in the house. That's fine. We don't have a problem with that. Mm. The problem is that the people that will come to your yard, come to the gate and lie to your face that the dog done this and the dog done that, and the dog has done nothing at all. Right. That's and like I'd be I'm seventeen years. My wife Ramona and myself are just seventeen years. We'll know within two minutes who's lying to us and who's not. Yeah. You know, and like we have obviously, if somebody is very badly stuck and it's a genuine situation, we will do our best to help. Yeah. You know, as, look, we probably will never, ever turn away a starving dog either if it's found and it needs help. Yeah. And do you think the message, though, is ever, you know, I own, I know there's a lot of campaigns that around Christmas about people being, you know, be very wary about getting a dog for Christmas, you know, um, and it's, there's always big campaigns around Christmas. But do you think the message will ever get through about how much of a responsibility they are? Um, and do people actually understand that if they haven't? Obviously, some people have had dogs before and they know what a responsibility they are. But do you feel that some people will, you know, do we how do we get this message through to people that their ri- dog is a massive responsibility? If I to be totally honest, not not here because okay. to be honest, people they don't research the breed, mm. what they're getting into. Like an instance of, of a woman in her late seventies getting a cockapoo. It's a hyper dog. Okay. It's not for a woman in her seventies. Okay. It's, you know, it's the dog is too needy. It needs too much 
to be done with it exercise wise the whole lot these are the types of dogs that where research is wrong where she'd be better off with a little Bichon or a little Terrier that would sit in her lap right you know it's it's researching the breed that's the most important thing okay and then in terms of actually people getting a dog, I know they always say, you know, if you're thinking of getting a dog or you've had a dog before, a rescue dog should be your always po- first point of call, like to actually go for a rescue dog first, look at, look after a rescue dog. Do you think that's good advice? Absolutely, because the rescues, all the rescues in the country, we all work hard yeah. to, get, to get these dogs right from whether they're starvation cases or the... None, none of these dogs will hold it against us. Yeah. They don't hold it against humans. They've no right to, to trust us the way we do. Mm. But we will, like a lot of dogs, we will have some background on them. Okay. But but we'll we'll try we like every other rescue. We'll match the dog with the family. Okay. You know we're not going to give a dog to a family that's not going to be suitable. Right. Okay. We'll do our we will do our home checks. We'll do our valuations. We'll. We'll make sure that the right dog goes to the right home. Okay, and, and how permanent home? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to have to rehome again. Obviously, you want a dog to settle. And then, I mean, how are we compared to other countries um, in this situation? I'm sure it's not just it's not just Ireland. It's not just us that are going through this at the moment. Obviously, with coming through coming out of COVID, are there other countries in the same situation? Well, look at regarding animal welfare, we're yeah. we're we're fifty years behind every other country. Okay, in what way? Yeah. Well, look, we 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 actually rehome dogs in Sweden. I was just going to ask you that. Yeah, do you do, um, do send abroad to rehome to rehome? Yeah, we're working under Sweden and rescue for the last twelve years. Look at the laws over there. Like, you can bring your dogs into cafes and restaurants, public transport, against yeah. the law to have your dog on a chain, it's against the law to have your dog outside at night. Yeah, you know it's. Well, I'm just back from Holland and I I was in a department store um, and a lady walked along beside me with this dog on a a lead. And I I, I stood there, I was absolutely gobsmacked. This dog was the most perfectly behaved thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I just thought, oh God, is that allowed? And then I realised there were three or four people in in the department store with dogs and they're so well behaved. They're sitting under people's feet, they're in restaurants, they're incredibly well behaved. They must be very, very well trained. Yeah, but it, it, it's 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 people putting it putting it back into the dog as well. Yeah. Here, it's just it's basically just a commodity. Like we get them and we put them out in the back garden, and you know we say hello to them and feed them. It, there's more to it than that. Yeah, there has to be more into that. Like you have to put it into the dog to get it back. Yeah, and in terms and then of, I mean, what do you? What do you see we need to do? I mean, like, obviously you've got this major problem at the moment that you can't take any more, you know, you can't take any more rescues in. Um, and, and what do you see now? What What do you see as the next step? Well, obviously, the same as every rescue in the country, our biggest fears is that you're going to have young dogs put into the pounds. Mm. The pounds are going to start filling. And a lot of the rescues work out of the pounds. But if we're full and they're full, the pounds are going to have to make decisions. Yeah. And you're talking about, obviously, euthanizing, euthanizing dogs, and they're going to be young dogs. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. And that's, that's the killing part for us, that mm. we can't help. 
you know, because of because of what people have done, and it is down to people. I'm sorry, but it yeah. it is. They, it's down to them. Like every everybody got a dog during COVID. Mm. It was just it was like a fashion statement. Yeah, you know. And typically, what kind of ho- what kind of dogs you find easier to rehome? Is there a particular breed that you find easier to rehome? It's across the board. Well, well look, to be honest. You could put up a picture of a cockapoo tomorrow. Yeah. And you'd have to close the you'd have to close the page down nearly after twenty minutes to be hundreds. But if you put up a little black lab female, say six year old, you might get one message. Right, okay. And like you know, I don't I from from my point of view, I don't see the fascination about these cockapoos or golden doodles because do you think it's just so, a trend? Do you think it's just a trend? Do you think it's kind of a trend of well, well, this is popular at the I, moment? Yeah, like it's like oh, I have a cockapoo. Okay. You know, like I don't mean to be cruel on the cockapoo, but at the end of the day, they're a mongrel. Mm. They're no different than a collie lab cross. But they're, know, high ma- they're high maintenance. Oh, they're massive high maintenance. Like, mm. You know, but like we've we've had this before with with different breeds up, and you put up a cocker spaniel, and they could be five hundred messages and put up a greyhound the next day and you get two yeah and a greyhound is a much more docile dog than any of them right and people don't want greyhounds here because they think you have to walk them you ha- they think you have to walk them a hundred miles to keep them happy so you think like, so to keep educating and researching your dog if you're going to actually get a dog to begin with an awful lot more research is required Absolutely. That's that's ninety mm, percent of the problem is people are not researching what what they're getting. Yeah. I I've had one young girl in the last fifteen years who bought a pup and she only had it two days when she realised she made a mistake. Oh. I I'd, I'd respect her so much for she realised it and she researched the breed after she got her god lover, but she she brought the dog into me here. Oh. Now she was she was upset, but she knew she had made the wrong decision. Yeah, it's just if she'd researched the poor girl had researched two days beforehand, she'd have been better off. But look, at least she made the right decision when the dog was young. Yeah. Oh, bless, Chris. I really appreciate that. I'm sure it must be absolutely heartbreaking for you and your team. And I wish you the very best of luck um, with everything. And um, hopefully, hopefully you'll get to reopen soon when all those rescue rescue we can get the rescue back out and rehomed. Oh, listen, thank you very much. For no, your- thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate that. Thanks, Evan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, we... That's a, such a sad story. Um, now, we have uh, a few things coming up um, on the show today. So, firstly, before we go any further, I was going to... Uh, hmm. Oh, we're going to... Sorry. <laughs> Louise is shouting at me. We need to take a break. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Talk to our van specialist, Danny, about the new Renault traffic and master range. Visit blackstonemotors.ie to see our massive range of light commercials with same-day business finance. Now, all this week, uh, we are talking about um, our favourite songs that we like to drive through, to drive to. So, you know yourself when you're sitting at the traffic lights and you hear that first beat of your favourite song coming on and it's nice and sunny outside and you're sitting in the car and you're having a little bop. So we've been, we put a call out yesterday to get a, a, a whole range of uh, 
what you like to drive to, what you like to listen to when you're in the car. So it's this is just a special song that you uh, you like to listen to. So Louise, we got some great responses yesterday, didn't we? Did, yeah. And we're hoping to get even more today, aren't we? Yes, so if you uh, not, have a special... Easy, easy. Yes, that's a special <laughs> song. Now, in fairness, uh, we pour, played Pour Some Sugar On Me by Def Leppard yesterday and Louise and I, I'm glad there's no cameras in here because Louise and I did have quite a bit of a bop uh, sitting here in the studio. Yeah, because I hadn't heard it in so long. I, I know. forgot how it's good it was. It's one of those guilty yeah. little pleasures. Yeah, it was good. Yep, so... And you've won in here today, Madonna. I do. We have... What made you put in Papa Don't Preach? Oh, what made me to... Well... <laughs> We used to drive an awful lot when we were younger. There was four girls in my family and um, I used to love when it came on the radio because I think myself and my sister just uh, just sung it just to drive my father absolutely bats. And um, if he's listening, um, sorry, Dad, I know we were only 12 and 11 and 12, but we loved singing this song I in the back of the car. We hadn't a clue what the lyrics no, were No, absolutely. We did not have a clue what was going on, but we loved the chorus, sung it loud. So we have now Papa John Preach by Madonna. Pope John Paul II wasn't a fan either. He, no. She he dedicated wa- it to him in a concert in the Vatican. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, we'll, uh, we'll enjoy this one today. And don't forget, send in your favourite Drive Time songs and uh, we will see if we can get them on later on in the show or in the week. Let's hear it. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drada, Dundalk and Cavan. With rising fuel costs, there's never been a better time to own the fully electric Renault Zoe and save thousands. New and nearly new options available. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Now, welcome back. And we have Swap Studios and I am on Zoom here with uh, the very brilliant Keith Barry. How are you? I'm very good. How are you, Irene? Not too bad, not too bad. Well, uh, you're a busy man. I'm looking at your tour schedule here. It looks like you're going to be very busy. Yes, so the tour started just a couple of weeks ago. We've been playing to packed houses all over Ireland and it's exciting, you know, to bring people back together again and reconnect, which is obviously the the name of the tour is reconnected as well. And we're going up your direction very shortly this coming Saturday night. Yes, And I actually had had a sneaky look, Irene, and I noticed there's exactly... 10 green seats available so that's it there's 10 seats available for reconnected in the TLT Andrada this Saturday night so look we're having an absolute blast on tour uh, we're reconnecting people and getting inside their heads I might do that with you again in a couple of seconds Irene <laughs> I think I'm quite scared I'll run <laughs> I won't run away so it's described as a magical emotional show I suppose it would be emotional after being out for so long obviously with Covid yeah, it really is emotional. And if you can imagine, right, half of the theatre at the very start turning to the other half of the theatre and hacking their brains. In other words, I do something I've never done before. I teach people how to hack the other half of the audience's brains. So immediately that creates a real bizarre reconnection in and of itself, subconsciously, of course. Um, and then we go on from there and all kinds of craziness happens. I have a, a crossbow act where an arrow is shot across somebody's head at 150 miles an hour. And that's to reconnect somebody with their inner childhood. I've got demonstrations where people reconnect with themselves and also dare I say it the other side the dark side I reconnect <laughs> people with dead, dead loved ones um, but of course I put up the disclaimer uh, it's all an illusion it's all done for entertainment purposes only of course um, but honestly I mean the end of the show is the most emotionally charged ending to a show that I've ever designed um, and I don't I want to keep it a secret but let's just say even the skeptics there's not a dry eye in the house because 
the feel-good factor is so overwhelming at the end of the show. And that's what I want. I want people leaving the theatre with that feel-good factor having had a great night, you know? Well, I think it's very ironic that uh, it's called Reconnected because obviously we met about 10 years ago at a show, which I thought was... So when I saw the title, I thought that was quite interesting. You were terrorising Bertie O'Hearn at an event, I I seem to remember. Yeah, yeah. You were very to him. He was up first. He was up first. I did my my spike effect on him back then, I think it was. Yes, it was. Terrorize, terrorizing is an interesting choice of words. <laughs> I, I, I rather th- uh, think of it as, uh, uh, I suppose, you know, entering into a world where everything and anything can happen. It but, was uh, amazing. Terrorizing is an interesting word, you know. I would be very skeptical and I thought it was very, it was amazing. And fair play, he was up for it as well. So it was uh, definitely a very interesting night. But mm. this one, it must have been weird though, over COVID then coming up, you must have had a lot of time then to come up with this show. It must be quite even emotional for you to be back on tour. Yeah, look, it's in my DNA to be on a stage. Like I do a lot of TV, I do a lot of uh, executive coaching and mind coaching, and all of that, of course, is on a camera, right? So it's on. We're on a camera now. Yes. Um, but for me, the best part about it, what I do is, you know, just interacting with people, being live on a stage, packing theaters. So I'm so grateful and honored, really, just to be back on those stages. I think people don't realize, like, yes, this is my living. This is what I do uh, to put uh, food on the table for my wife and kids. But ultimately, if I, if I wasn't doing it for a living, I'd still be doing it. Like, I do a lot of for, for charity. So just being on a stage, um, it's kind of home from home for me. I love it so much. Um, and yeah, look, it took, it took a while to come up with the show. Like, I wrote the show... Uh, probably over 12 months ago now, thinking that I'd be back, you know, towards the end of last year. Um, and this was a tour that was supposed to happen in January, February, March. And then, of course, we had to postpone and all the rest of it. Um, but it took a while to come up with the material, you know. Yeah, got to dig deep uh, because I pride myself on being on the road, believe it or not, 20 years now. I was and just going to say, yeah, it's a lot of research. Yeah, but every show is different than the last. So in other words, I, I'm very careful to make sure that all of the shows are different than each other. So when people come, yeah. they know that there's surprise and wonder and, and new things that they can't explain, you know. So if you were to describe, I mean, I know you've described it there really, really well, but uh, you've already been, you've already had it in Galway, Kilkenny, Athlone, Cork. Wow, you really are all the way around. So you're back on, on Saturday night in the TLT, which is a great theatre, I have to I say. I love it there. Yeah, yeah I love it. I love the fact that Tommy turns up to nearly every gig himself. And look, I just, I absolutely love it. But like, for me, um, what I didn't realize is the amount of laughter in the show. Yeah. So I create a show that's obviously about what I do, which is uh, brain hacking and magic and wonder. But actually, it's a hilarious show. Do you remember, do you remember Blind Date with Scylla Black? <laughs> yes, I do. So, so I've got, I've got a routine specifically designed for the single people in the audience because they've had a tough over the pandemic, right? Uh, Where they couldn't get out there and connect with with potential future partners for reproduction, as I put it. So ultimately, um, uh, instead of blind date, I have a skit on it, which is called mind date. And people get to connect subconsciously. And every night we create a love connection on stage. But I have to tell you, I didn't realise just how funny that was going to be. If people want to see photographs of, of what's been going on, you know, if they're on the fence and they want to make a decision, they just need to pop onto my Facebook page. Um, and there's been loads of people commenting. I leave all the comments up, good, bad, ugly. Uh, but predominantly, like 99.99% of the comments have been favourable towards the, the show. People are just enjoying, I think, getting into a theatre and having a laugh and forgetting about their everyday problems for a minute. And I think we can all do that, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. We can absolutely get back to it all over again. It's it's nice knowing, though, never knowing what you're going to get. You know, you never if it's changed oh, yeah. all the time, you never know what's going to happen. 
Well, here's the interesting thing, Irene. It's different every night because the people are my props. Yeah. So when I pull people up on stage, like everybody is interacting all night long. Like there's multiple routines where the whole audience is involved. And then over the course of the night, honestly, about 35 people land on the stage. And uh, and the masks, listen, masks are voluntary at this stage. If you want to mask up, mask up. If you don't want to mask up, don't mask up. But ultimately I have a mask here. And look, I you can see this mask, yes? I can see this mask. Okay, and my sleeves are rolled up. But if I choose to, I can just make that mask turn invisible. And you're going to have to describe this for your listeners. But the mask goes into my fist. There's nothing going up my sleeves. It remains in full view the whole time. But I can just take it and I can just turn it invisible, Irene. So it's right there in front of you, even though you can't see it. Okay. It's invisible right now, yes? Okay, visible. Yeah, can't see anything. can't see it. No. No, you can't see it. But it's still there. Look, if I choose to just take it back out of midair, I can just take it back out just like that. How strange is I that? I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I absolutely love it. And the first show I've seen, the two shows, I've seen two of your shows and I absolutely love it. And there's always something different every time. Um, so you're going to play a mind trick on me, aren't you? Proper mind trick. So well, Irene. We, we had this conversation a long time ago. I don't know if this is people. possible. Yeah, tell people you're sceptics. You don't think I can get inside your head, right? Mm, we'll see. Okay, so I'm going to write something down for you. Just look at me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this will be for you. So Irene will say number. Okay, so just so everybody, yeah, I'm going to go with this actually. Okay, <laughs> kind of scribble, but you'll understand. I'll get rid of the pen. So here's what I've done, just so everybody knows, and I'll kind of get back here so you, this piece of paper remains in full view the whole time. So I've written down on a piece of paper a number. I'm going to tell you it's a number, okay? And it's in full view. You can see the piece of paper where you don't know what I've written down. So it's on a clipboard just so everybody realizes who's listening. And uh, Irene, if I was to get you to name a number between, we'll just say, uh, I don't know, like one in 10, most people, not necessarily you, but most people just automatically go for seven. That's what would happen. Okay. You, you went for seven, didn't you, Irene? I went for seven. Absolutely. Yeah. That's just statistics, Irene. Let's get outside. I was going to say, that could be statistics. <laughs> Oh, it is statistics, right? So let's get outside of statistics now. And I want you to name out loud a number between, we'll just say, I don't know, like one in 500. Now we're outside of statistics. Let's go one in a thousand. That's really outside of statistics right now, okay? So look at me, though. Don't name a number out loud just yet, okay? Make your mind completely blank. This is important. Make your mind completely blank. And now allow a number between one in a thousand to jump into your head. Now change your mind to another number. So you're thinking of a number even you didn't know you were going to think of before this began. So it's extra impossible. Okay, good. And I can see you're the type of person who needs to have evidence of this. You wrote the number down, yes? I did. Probably okay, because I'd did. forget it otherwise. <laughs> but you did it in such a way that I couldn't see it. So you Absolutely. Did it beneath yeah, you can see it now. Okay. okay, name out loud. What number are you thinking of now? The second number or the first number? Whichever number you decide is your number. So you decide between them. Whatever number you name out loud will be the one. 72. Now, why did you go with 72? Is there a particular reason why you went with 72? No idea. No, because here's the crazy thing. I wrote something down. I want you to read out loud. It's been in full view the whole time. Read out loud exactly what this says, please. 72. (laughs) Irene will say 72. Irene will say number 72. It's exactly what I wanted you to do, Irene. Okay, well... I won't make you, I won't let you, I won't let you plan any surprise parties for me. Put it that way. <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. 
That's absolutely amazing. And I, I just think it's incredible how you do that. I, 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 you know, I know you don't give away, you won't give away any of your, uh, any of your secrets and things, but it, it must be incredible to come up. Somebody must, somebody must be able to, to, to get through to you sometimes, though. They must be able to, to, to get fool you sometimes. Do you reckon? Are there people yeah, out there well, that can? They can try. They can try. I love the skeptics, by the way. So I love skeptics coming up on the stage because there's nothing better than the audience. I was going to say that. that. Yeah, there must be great to bounce off them and prove them wrong. Well, they're great. Great to have a challenge with on stage yeah. because the audience knows I need to work hard. Yeah. Uh, get inside that person's head. Like I don't know if you felt it going into your head there, but I actually genuinely subconsciously projected a playing card into your head a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you feel it go into your head? Hmm. Not really. Okay, look, there's a, I have a deck of cards. It's got a big black X yep, on it here, Irene. There is. Um, so I'm going to tell you, just so you know, there's one card reversed in this deck. Okay. And the big black X is only here because we're doing this virtually. Irene, the card that's in your head now, yes. just name it out loud. Queen of Hearts. Now, later on tonight, you'll wonder. You'll actually question this as a skeptic. You'll say, hmm, I wonder, does everybody think of the Queen of Hearts? That's what you'll think, right? So I want you to know that you can change your mind. If you do change your mind later on tonight, you'll regret that decision. If you don't change your mind for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life, you'll wonder, <laughs> what would have happened had I changed my mind? So okay. you want to change your mind? Are you sticking with the Queen of Hearts? I'm your sticking choice. with the Queen of Hearts. Now, this is interesting. The big black X, that is there for a reason. I'll go through the cards. And as I said, there's one card reversed. It's important for you to know there's no sleight of hand involved. This is no trick. In other words, there is one card reversed. You can see it's right there. It's at the start. There's no yep. other cards reversed. No other cards reversed, right? There's one card reversed. But I wanted you to know, Irene, out of all these cards, you can see they're all going the same way. But the more important thing is I wanted you to really know that there was no sleight of hand involved in this. That's why the Queen of Hearts is the only one with a big black <gasps> X going right through. Oh, my life. That's amazing. It's the Queen of Hearts, ladies and gentlemen. That is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Okay, and I did think I did think I would not be I would not be you wouldn't be able to do this on me. I did think, but no, I've been proven wrong. That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> oh wow! So that is what other kind of things then are you? Oh, I'm never going to live this down. I'm going to get absolute grief from everybody going. See, you didn't think he could do it. <laughs> Listen, like the, the amount of people that come up to me and go, you know, you never get me. You won't hypnotize me, Barry. And they're the people I want. They're the people I want because within three seconds they're hypnotized flat out on their back on the stage or perhaps I'm I'm getting inside their head and I'm revealing something crazy to the audience. Um, and that's what I love about the, the live show. You know, it can go anywhere. It's a big production, by the way. Oh, here's something I've, I haven't talked about in the press at all. Roxy is my sexy stage assistant who's becoming with me on the tour. Okay. But it's, it's spelled R-O-X-I. And Roxy spe- uh, stands for reconnected, omnipresent, extraterrestrial intelligence. So Roxy is an artificial intelligent um, assistant that I have on tour with me. Okay. So we've got this huge backdrop and Roxy speaks to the audience through the backdrop and she tests the reconnection gauge, as I call it. So in other words, we start at 0% and if we reconnect correctly in the theatre, uh, we get to 100% at the end of the show. Would it, I won't say which one, but one of the theatres only got to 98%. They didn't okay. get all the way there. Okay, so you're hoping now for Drahada to be able to, to, to do yes. it for you on Saturday on the 14th? I'm confident. I'm confident the people up there around the area of Drogheda will get to 100% because, uh, look, I love playing there. It's a beautiful theatre. Like a lot of the, the, the places that I play around Ireland, they're great, but they're hotels. So we yeah. put the production, 
Whereas, um, you know, you know yourself, the TLT is such a big stage. Um, you know, it's just a wonderful place. It's a great atmosphere, actually, in the TLT, the way the seating and everything. It is actually great. Yeah. Invo- it's gr- I've been on the stage before introducing somebody and it is actually a fabulous, um, there's a fabulous vibe and there's a fabulous... Yeah. Um, atmosphere about it and particularly as you say if you're going to kind of face off one part of the audience with the other that's that's going to work extremely well I think everyone's up for a laugh at the moment I think everyone is going to you know is looking forward to trying and finding things to do and finding new things to do I I think we all need to escape I think people sometimes now are taking the world so seriously we have serious things that we need to talk about like wars and pandemics and uh, and price hikes and energy crisis oh gosh (laughs) stop no, but we need to escape all that stuff. So we need to recognize that we need to get that stuff out of our heads. Yeah. And that's really what the show is about and, and getting people to forget about all of their own problems and the problems of the world. And and as I said, look, this is a show where anything and everything can happen, but it's all about wonder and enchantment and laughter as well, you know? Okay, well, it sounds like it's definitely going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. So this is what you're basically on tour now. You're on tour until the end of June. Yeah, until the very end of June. And if people can't make the TLT this Saturday night. I was um, going to say that they, if they can't make the TLT uh, this Saturday night, but hopefully they can. You, uh, do you There's tickets, I presume, for some of the other venues that you're... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Olympia here in Dublin is nearly sold out. But look, there's there's venues all over the country. So if people want a weekend away, just ke- check keithbarry.com. All the dates are up there. That's what I was and, going uh, to say. Perfect. Keithbarry.com. Yeah, Hopefully I'll see them at a, at a gig somewhere uh, yeah, around the country, anywhere at all, you know. Well, I wish you the very, very best. I, um, I'm i very impressed. I didn't think I could be brain hacked, as they say. And it's been really nice to see you again. I thought you were great the first time. And hopefully Bye. I'll get to see you again. Great. Thank you so much. See you soon. Cheers, Keith. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drada, Dundalk and Cavan. The all-new Dacia Jogger has arrived. Ireland's most affordable full-size seven-seater family car. With three full rows of seating and with extendable 2,000-litre storage, the spacious Jogger has all the space you need. Book your test drive now. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Now, all this week on The Late Lunch, we have an epic summer offer from Dundalk Stadium. They've launched their new summer package, which sounds like amazing value. So, for €29 per person, you get your main course, your entry, your race card, free parking, reserve table service. And every they've racing every Friday and Saturday night. So as the saying goes, every moment matters. And to celebrate this week, every day from Monday to Thursday, we've a pair of tickets to give away each day. And on Friday, then you can go over to our Facebook page and you could win a package for five people to avail of this summer offer. So what do you have to do to win this great prize for today? Text or WhatsApp Dundalk, D-U-N-D-A-L-K to 086-1800-658. So that's a great competition prize to win. So that would be uh, definitely be a nice one to to go for. Now, Louise, we are following. We're following up our Eurovision. Yes, we're all quite You're excited. A big fan. I'm a big fan. I am a big fan. Um, and I know, I know, it's 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 great. It's it, it's cute. It's, Do you it's think it's fun. lost its, it's magic? Quirky. Has it lost its magic? I think Ireland's lost its magic for the Eurovision. I think. I it, think so. It, yeah, I think we have. I think we we About have fifteen years ago. I'd say. <laughs> I think we need to win pretty soon to 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 rebring the magic back. But certainly in, in in Europe, it's certainly a massive big thing. So all this week we have been playing um, our favourite um, 
Irish entries and um, mine uh, Louise had hers yesterday with Johnny Logan but mine is Neve Kavna um, and hold and in your eyes that was my my favourite one I brought a tear to my eyes so 1993 hope- with her I know she I had know. some range she was an absolutely amazing voice I mean completely amazing voice but I think listening to, I had a look at some of the uh, entries online there Louise last night because tonight's the first semi-final okay. Ireland is in the second semi-final on Thursday is what what closest countries are in tonight oh gosh I don't even know what in tonight. There's a list of 16. I mean, it's gone from 22, I think, to, to nearly 36, 40 entries. So, 40, yeah. Yeah, it's, there's quite a lot so of entries. So, how many is only allowed on the night? 10, 20, 20 in the night. 20 yeah. on and the I think, night. And then okay. I think tw- maybe 25, because I think some of them get automatic entry. So, I think the Germ- the big five get their automatic entry to the end. Um, I think I it's think. Germany, <laughs> France, Spain, Italy. The I big think ones. The big the, ones. The big ones. The big, the big ones. I think they're the ones that actually uh, pay for a lot of the, the aspect to it. But I, I just love it. I love the pageantry. I love the crack. I just think it's fun. And I think that's what everybody needs at the moment. A bit like Keith with Barry was saying there. I think everyone needs a little bit of fun. So we'll go into Neve Kavna in your eyes as our Eurovision song for today. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Talk to our van specialist, Danny, about the new Renault traffic and master range. Visit blackstonemotors.ie to see our massive range of light commercials with same-day business finance. Now, we have uh, Millbrook Foods has been supplying hospitality industry for over 100 years and they've just opened to the general public at Millbrook Market, Kennedy Road in Navan, enabling you to enjoy family quality restaurant uh, food in your own home. So to celebrate the launch of this exciting new store, all this week you'll have a chance to win a €100 Millbrook voucher on the LMFM page. So you can come along and join us on Saturday week, the 21st of May, as we broadcast live from the new store in Kennedy Road in Navan. that sounds like a, an, an, an interesting event to go to. We'd also like to pass our LMFM congratulations to the Drogheda Chamber, who have been shortlisted for, a, for an A Chambers Award 2022, which will actually take break in June. So their project, Embrace the Change, is up for an award in the Partnership and Business category. And the strategy is a collaboration between Drogheda and the District Chamber, the Love Drogheda BDIS and the Mill Enterprise Hub. So we wish them very best of luck to, for that. Now we have coming up on our on the show a guest um which is a very very interesting story um and we wish him the very very best, best of luck so Navan author should be with us uh, should be with us soon and it's basically his book has been going to be turned into a Hollywood movie Louise that sounds uh, really interesting Joan uh, uh, are you there with us now get you sorted on the line and we have all the technical gremlins um, ironed out. I'll just describe for to our listeners. So your debut novel called Sister Agatha basically is the world's oldest serial killer is about a 118 year old Irish nun who is determined to be the oldest person in the world, um, even if it means killing her four older rivals. So it de- it definitely sounds like it will lend itself uh, very much to being on the big screen. Um, but Sister Agatha, it's it's definitely an interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting, an interesting adaptation. I would imagine. I'd say you're absolutely delighted, and uh, hopefully now we can uh, we can get here. You on, you have you on the line now. Hello. Hey, Donald. There, you're there. <laughs> can you I- hear? 
I am. Would you believe in 2022 we're still having technology? Oh, questions. we're still having a few technical gremlins in the system. Sure, look, what can you do? What can you that do? <laughs> Congratulations. That sounds absolutely brilliant. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> Would you believe the very first interview I did for Sister Agatha was on the late lunch over six years ago? Wow. Yes. With Jerry. Uh, with Jerry, so that was the start of my journey. So it's so lovely to come on your air, you know, today and have a chat about this. Well, apparently, apologies, you haven't got Jerry. You're stuck with me today. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, well, can I'm you ex- can you explain to people? I mean, it's been six years ago, but and it takes such a long time to go. But can you explain um, a bit about your debut novel? When obviously it's six years ago now, but can you explain a little bit about Sister Agatha for our audience? Yes, absolutely. Um, when I wrote the book for the, uh, I started writing it seven years ago. So it takes such a long time to actually, you know, first of all, write the book and then get a publisher and then to release it. So if anyone is thinking of writing a book, make sure you love it because you're with this for a long, long time. So I've been with this book, you know, with these characters and this adventure for, God, almost, almost eight years now at this stage. Um, and then this little, you know, unexpected, uh, happening occurred before Christmas when uh, a producer in America read the book and she read it three years ago. Uh, randomly somebody had passed it on to her said you must read it because she ha- she's Irish her, her ancestors are Irish so she said if you like Ireland you will enjoy this so she read it and she thought you know one day this would make a really good television series and she sat on the idea she didn't do anything about it until uh, before Christmas and then she got in touch with my agent and then got in touch with me and we had a few meetings so I wasn't expecting this to happen at all you know in my heart I always thought one day wouldn't it be wonderful if this book could find its way onto the silver screen or the big screen Um, but I hadn't it wasn't actually you know something that I was actively pursuing and then out of the blue, this wonderful producer called Colleen, as Irish as you can get, <laughs> um, gets in touch. And, 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 and so I've revisited the book for the first time because I kind of thought it you know, slowly started to come to the end of its, of its life cycle. But with this, I've had to you know, go back and revisit the characters and revisit the story again, um, which, which has been lovely. Because when I first started writing the book and it came out, I moved straight on to my second book and then my third book and then so forth. And you often don't have time to actually, you know, enjoy the process because you're always thinking about the next, yeah. um, you know, you know the, the next obstacle really or the next uh, adventure or whatever it is. So it's been really lovely to, to return to the very start. And you started, you started as a screenplayer, so, a screenwriter. So did you ever think when you were actually writing it, did you, when you kind of started out, um, did you think obviously you, in your head you could see it on the, you could see it on the screen? Absolutely. And, you know, you know I, I did start off as a screenwriter. I moved from acting into screenwriting. It was quite a natural progression because obviously it's, you know, actors work with screenplays and, yeah. and vice versa. Um, so foolishly, I thought, you know, it would be quite an easy uh, endeavour getting a script to screen. But it's not because, you know, effectively you're asking a producer or a film board to give you millions, yeah. um, which, as you know, is quite you know, quite a challenge. So I kind of got a little bit fed up of, you know, waiting to get funding for different projects. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a little book. Because with the book, you don't need any budget until obviously you get to the publishing stage. But even then, you know, it can be quite low um, if needs be. So it was my way of just 
telling stories without those colossal budgets that are associated with, you know, productions um, that we'd see on Netflix. And, you know, I didn't really have a huge goal. I said, if this gets a publication, brilliant. If not, I'll still be very proud of it and it'll be something that I'll have enjoyed doing. And then luckily, um, I I did get a a publishing deal from a publishing company based very close to you. uh, It's called Tiergar Publishing. They're there just outside Bettystown. And... the inf- my influence as a screenwriter absolutely is throughout the whole book. For, for you know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> I, I still don't know. But absolutely, it, it's very much there. And you know that was always the feedback people gave me, and um, that it was very cinematic that they could really visualise yeah. the story on the screen. Um, and so where yes. did you come up with the character? I mean, where did you come up with the original story? There must have been some sort of initial spark of inspiration for Sister Agatha in the first place. Did you do you actually have a sort of a, a moment that you went, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to write? Would you believe last week the new oldest person in the world is also 118 years of age and she's a nun, not called Sister Agatha, but Sister Andre. Okay. And so, so, so all those years ago, six, seven years ago, I read a story about the new oldest person in the world. And then within days, she had died and then there was the new oldest person in the world. And then within a week, he had died and then there was the new oldest person in the world. So of course that's just a very natural process because these people were you know, well over 100 you know, 115, 118 um, but mischievously I thought to myself, I wonder if there's something sinister going on here. I wonder if there's anyone <laughs> bumping off their rivals to claim this amazing title as the world's oldest person. So that was very much the starting point. Yeah. What would happen if somebody wanted to be the oldest person in the world and what would they do to go about it. So yes, that was the starting point. And there's lots of different locations in the book as well, isn't there? You're kind of going on a journey with Sister Agatha. Well, well, that's it. So a large part of my my work, my day-to-day work is as a travel writer uh, for various magazines and newspapers. So travel has always been very much a part of my life, even from, you know, a young child traveling with my family and to this day, you know, making it my, my profession. So I love travel. And, you know, particularly during lockdown, you know, when the world wasn't allowed outside, um, I loved that I was able to write stories that allowed me to travel, but in my imagination. You know, so all my books, my three books that have been published, uh, you know, lean very heavily on the globe trotting experience. And that's very much the case with Sister Agatha. So the four, her four ri- rivals, older rivals, they're scattered across the world. So they're all places that I visited as a travel journalist. So it's lovely to be able to kind of incorporate those experiences. So where about, whereabouts does Sister Agatha get to go? What do we get to relive? What do we get to live in the book? What could we, what will we see when the, the, the screenplay is, the screen, the, that's finally hit our screens? What place, <laughs> what locations are we, are we all heading off to? Well, in the book, and that might be different from what happens yeah, in the screen. For absolutely, yeah. But in the book anyway, she starts off in Tunisia. Okay. Um, in North Africa, which is just one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Um, and then she hightails it to Chicago. And the Patrick Day's parade is in Chicago, so she gets up to mischief over there. <laughs> and then she returns to Europe and she goes to Warsaw. 
um, oh. and she comes across a, a, a Polish spy. So all of a sudden she becomes um, the victim. So she has to kind of navigate that. And then she ends up in Venice. Now, my partner is from Venice. So I've lived in Venice on and off over the past uh, nine years. And Venice is one of my absolute favourite places. It? Absolutely. Yes, I love Venice. I think it's absolutely stunning and fabulous. So absolutely. Yes. Oh, I'd love to live there. That would be to be able to live there now. Uh, that, that would be definitely, definitely a dream. Well, absolutely. Do you know what? I don't know if you know, in Venice, you know, the, the, the lagoon and across the lagoon, mm-hmm. there's 118 islands. There is. Scattered. So the largest of those islands is called Lido, which is where the Venice Film Festival is every year. <laughs> and that's where my partner lives. Now, wow. living on that island, it's the best of both. It's worlds. beautiful. It's absolutely yeah, you, beautiful. You, you, you get the- in, in Lido. I have to say, it is the most beautiful place I have been. I absolutely love it. Getting the ferry over to Lido and walking Ah, those streets, it is just magical. I'm delighted that you were there because so many people go to Venice and they just stay in, you know, around St. Mark's Square and the Rialto Bridge and they don't go out to the islands. But isn't that island Lido just magnificent? Uh, it's just, it's it's kind of like, a, it's, in one way, it's kind of like a fairy tale. You know, it's just everything. It's just beautiful. I have to say, I love Venice. I'm so jealous. And it, if to be able to bring that, to, you obviously put a lot of, uh, you know, your own experiences into it. I mean, I have to say it would be, uh, it sounds absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I was delighted to showcase towns like Venice and towns like Navan because so much of the action takes place in my hometown of Navan. And, you know, and, you, know you mightn't, mightn't be Venice level in terms of, <laughs> of, of, of uniqueness, but I'm very proud of Navan and the Royal County. I just think me, there's such a beautiful, verdant landscape um, that's a little bit unsung in comparison to some other counties in Ireland, like, you know, the West Coast down in Cork and Kerry but I'm a firm uh, fan of Mead and I will always uh, celebrate whenever I can whether it's on you know radio like now or in my books so I was delighted to do that to kind of um, yeah put Nav on the map and funny enough when I was, ha- I was having a meeting with the producer last week and I had to describe Navin. So, you know, even that's lovely to be able to kind of bring her virtually to yeah. Navin and, you know, describe all the high points. And uh, uh, yeah, so, 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 yeah. So she gets around to describe with her. And she re- <laughs> but she starts in Navin and then she returns to and, Navin. And how did you describe Navin? How, how did you describe Navin in the book? Well, do you know what? I, because I, I love, my mother, you know, was a very much, uh, she's a teacher, but she's very much a lover of history. So, you know, growing up, I was always very aware of the history of Navan. And, and people can often forget that when they think of Navan. They often think of, of our accents and, <laughs> and, you know, and our famous comedians. But we have such an incredible legacy there. Like, you know, Mead is called the, the Royal County yeah. for a reason. It is steeped in history. So um, I, I'll often talk about that marriage of kind of the old and the new because, you know, I'm approaching 40, shall we say, this year. Um, but even in my lifetime, it has changed so much, um, you know, in, in terms of the people who, who now live there and the buildings and the facilities. But when you look back, you know, even at Lumley Castle, which to me always you know, mesmerised me and just the adventures we used to get up to around that area. Now that's, you know, these beautiful housing estates. So that's completely transformed. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you look at what's happened as a result of COVID it's so you know the silver lining for me is how you know so many of our streets are activated now you know that there's people sitting outside having coffee
coffees and having food and um, and that's I think allowed people to kind of be a bit more mindful of what does my shop or my cafe or business look like so there's beautiful flowers in the streets now and beautiful painting you know the, the walls are painted different colourful um, shades so slowly but surely Every time I visit, um, you know, my family, my parents are still there. There's a little, there's something new to discover. Yeah. And I just think that's wonderful. Oh, that's so nice. No, that sounds definitely, it sounds lovely. It just sounds so interesting and it's just such a fabulous story. So what what goes on? What happens from here? What, what do you do? You, are you going to be involved in any way or is it just basically they go, they're going to go off, Colleen is going to go off and take it and, and run with it? Well, well, yeah, a, a bit of both. Okay. A bit of both. So, so this is kind of the first big starting point for the project, you know, that she has now acquired the screen rights. And, you know, she's a wonderful producer. Production company has done extraordinary things. Um, and, you know, they've, they've won Emmys and, you know, it's great acclaim. So the hope now is that a, a pilot script will be developed. Um, Colleen will look for collaborators, whether, you know, a production company in Ireland or in the US, and then it'll go from there. So, you know, it, it is a long journey getting a script screen. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it can take years, if, if ever, but it's it's just been a lovely process so far. So, you know, having been in this business, both as an actor and as a, as a writer, I kind of know how delicate <laughs> everything is, <laughs> you know, and, and never to get your hopes up too high. Yeah. But it's always nice to kind of acknowledge those small little achievements. Absolutely. And particularly when it's, it's sort of sitting there for six years and you've been dusting it off the shelf now to revisit your characters and, and revisit your journey as it were that's it and, and do you know what it inspired me to write a sequel <laughs> so I wrote, I wrote a sequel um, which I didn't even ever think that I would do so that's there you know good to go um, I'm not sure when but you know it, it was, it's lovely with Sister Agatha you know ha- having written so many characters now she's the type of person you can just parachute into any situation <laughs> any scenario and she'll write herself yeah, I, I can see it in my head. I, I really can. I can see it. It's definitely the kind of movie I can see I, that would be. I'm delighted for you know, absolutely ah, delighted. Thank you so much. And thank you have you two much. other novels as well, Colin and the Concubine and Crazy for You, published by Mercer Press as well. Yes, yes, exactly. And again, they were both uh, based in Navan before the characters then headed off, uh, you know, abroad. But yes, very much in Navan. Well, so, so it was lovely working with Mercer Press. You know, they're the oldest independent publishing company in the country. And, and I learned so much, yeah. so much, because being a writer can be quite a, a lonely process because effectively it's just you and your computer for the guts of a year or however long it takes you to write. So it's so lovely then to work with uh, wonderful editors like I did with, with Mercier and then to learn, you know, to acquire That's so many skills because... As a screenwriter, it's so different to being a journalist and being a journalist is so different to being an author. There's, you know, some things that you can kind of incorporate, absolutely, but it requires a different set of skills. So it was so wonderful working with Mercier and, and learning. I love learning. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that sounds brilliant. It's certainly just certainly a varied, being, uh, obviously coming from being an actor and then screenwriter. And so what are you working on at the moment? Have you got something, in, have you got, you're working on a, a novel or are you working on another novel at the moment? Uh, yes, I am. I've, I've, I've actually four novels um, on the go at the moment. I, I love I, I, it. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, being a journalist, often you've got very quick deadlines, you know, uh, as you'd know yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's very instantaneous. So I just kind of, uh, so when I wrote my first three novels, I kind of took that energy of kind of just writing a lot and a lot. And I kind of said this year or last year, really, just to slow down a bit and just to kind of start exploring 
a new voice, a different voice, improving my voice, um, which is what I've done. So that's been really exciting. And uh, yes, I've got my four books almost good to go, um, but not quite. So, but, but, but it's nice just to take that urgency out of the process and just to enjoy well, it definitely sounds like you've a busy time we had you. Look, we wish you the very, <laughs> very best of luck. That's Donal O'Donoghue, O'Donoghue, O'Donoghue and his uh, debut novel, Sister Agatha, which has been taken up. It's off to Hollywood. Congratulations. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda and Dog and Cabin. Test drive the new Renault Arcana or the fully electric Zoe. Guaranteed delivery, low APR finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. And Louise, we have our drive song for the afternoon. It's uh, one of my favourites. Louise has been making up words as she goes along to the song, I think. <laughs> no, I was just saying <laughs> that I was driving and this song happened to be on one day and my son was six at the time and he shouted out from the back. He said, Mam, I said, yeah. He said, do women really make thunder? Of course we do. <laughs> of course we do. And so I think, I think he was right, actually. Yeah. I think. T- well, I love this song. So this is our drive song for today. And it is Men at Work, Down Under. Down Under. Louise and I are still debating those lyrics. I think we'll have to look them up later on. And our winner Women for today... Women roar and make thunder. OK, we'll go with that one for today. How's that? <laughs> now, our winner today of the two... The pair of tickets, basically, that we're giving away each day for Dundalk Stadium is Wendy Russell from Drogheda. Congratulations. You're the winner of our tickets today. Have a great time. Absolutely. Enjoy. Now... What's up coming up next, Louise? Well, before that, you were mentioning a very interesting thing about what's happening in Korea. Yes. Now, I'm going to try and pronounce this properly. So, the new president of South Korea, Yeon Soo Yu, <laughs> I don't know if I've got that correct, but anyway, he's basically aligning all of date of births to ages to international standard because at the moment in South Korea, if you're when you're born, you're one. And then regardless of what your next birthday is, you will basically become two <laughs> at New Year's Eve. <laughs> so do you have two birthdays? So I don't know if you, birthday, I'd like this idea of two January birthdays. I, I, I like the idea of the two birthdays, but he's going to bring it backwards into international standards to in line with international standards. Now that would mean then that I would mean, yeah, that would mean I'd have another year now before my big birthday. I think mm. I kind of like that. So if a baby was born in December. Yes. It automatically be one on the day it's born. One on the day it's and born. And then a month later on New Year's Day, is it? Yeah, New Year's Day. It's two. two. Yes. So the child is only really two months old to us. To us. It's a very small two-year-old. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be going to school very early, wouldn't you? Oh my gosh. And, and it caused That'd a be great if and you it, were coming up to, you know, the kids that want to well, be 18. Well, that was the reason. One of the reasons why was because it caused loads of hassle during the pandemic. So when they were saying that the um, the vaccines and the, and the boosters were for particular age groups, mm-hmm. the actual age groups were quite varied. So they're now now this new president who has just been voted in today, uh, just uh, been appointed today, he's going to bring that ball back in line with international standards. Yes, so be very... Very confusing. I incre- oh, could you? It's confusing as it is. I think once you get to forty-five, was you're trying to remember what was the what reasoning. I wonder behind that. I'd say it was just to bring everything back in international standards. No, but even like for the the two-year-old by yeah, like I wonder what the thinking was. The original thinking. The original thinking, I think, was to do with when a child was actually when a child was actually born. Uh, they, when they saw as the child started started its life. So was it from inception? Was it through pregnancy? I think, and that's what they're thinking about. It was before. So it's been for. 
it's always been like that apparently well, in I, I can get that kind yeah. of you know because if you see somebody you know they're in their 91st year when yeah. they're 90 but I don't get <laughs> is <laughs> adding another year on for January the 1st so Look. everybody effectively has the same birthday. Yeah. Look, if I thought I could stay forty nine, if I thought I could stay forty nine forever, I'd be. I'll be all in. I'd be. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be another year, would you? <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. I definitely wouldn't want to be another year. I wonder what the Koreans think about it. Absolutely. Mm. Now, anyway, we take a break, and coming back, we have Jenny Moran, who is amazing, creates edible art. She is incredible. Absolutely, we'll absolutely fabulous. We'll talk to her after the break. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Now on the line we have uh, Jenny Moran. Jenny, how are you? Hi, Irene. How's things? Not too bad, not too bad. I was looking at some of the pictures of some of your edible art and wow, absolutely incredible. Oh, thanks so much, Cheers. It's really, can you describe what you, can you describe what you do for, for people listening? Yeah, yeah. And um, basically, I, um, so a few years ago, I just, I used to be a painter, but I decided to kind of change um, what I was doing and just paint on cakes. Um, so everything I do is edible and I paint portraits and landscapes on cakes and I sculpt people's faces and, um, oh, sculpt anything from um, edible works like chocolate. Well, I've seen the my favorite one. I think it's your favorite one as well. Is uh, Father Jack? Yeah, that's that's definitely my favorite one. It's uh, the one that really people kind of noticed and liked at the start, and it's just remained. It's the, it was the most fun one I've ever done, to be honest with you. It's so lifelike. I mean, it's it's <laughs> really incredibly, incredibly lifelike. Oh, you, thanks. You, <laughs> I was absolutely in awe. It would be t- nearly terrible to actually eat it. <laughs> You know, like, uh, I, I, that one, because it was one of the first ones I'd done, it was real nostalgic, and it actually did feel strange to kind of eat um, Father Jack's face, you know, and that's kind of like at the start when nobody was painting um, uh, on cake. So I guess at the start people were like, oh, I don't know if I want to eat this uh, person's face. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I kind of get it. I get, but now I'm just, I'm, I, I, I've gotten faster as time's gone on, so it's not... I don't hold it too dear, do you know, that kind of way. And it must take an incredible amount of time to actually to actually do them, to actually create them. Yeah, at the start it was taking me um, to do like a portrait, um, kind of about four days to paint on it. And I didn't and I didn't really know how to use the materials, so I was painting them for hours and then they would melt and stuff um, <laughs> in the heat. So it took me a long time to kind of get a handle of it. But, but now I'd say probably two days for a portrait and a week for a sculpture, you know. So it is, it is, it's a lot of work um, involved in making these cakes. And, and how do people do people get uh, ask you for commissions? Do they send them into you? How are they for birthdays or special occasions? What what, what would get somebody to uh, what would get somebody to get one of these creations from you? Um, because it takes me a kind of a long time. I would at the moment only do for like a big event, so yeah. it would be kind of commissions, and then it would be I would do them for classes. So I kind of enjoy teaching people sugar art at the moment. Um, I've had people. Um, can they do can they be for birthday parties and stuff like friends and family and I'd be happy to do that then you know but uh, at the moment it's just really teaching classes and if somebody wants me to do it for a competition or a big cake show I kind of would uh, 
do it then, you know. And, and what materials do you use? I was looking at them on, I was looking at them online trying to work out how, what materials would you use to yeah. actually create them? I mean, I, I you know, the, oh, the even the dyes that you would use. I mean, it yeah. just looks amazing. It, it looks so intricate. Yeah, I, intricate yeah. There's that, a lot of different materials. Like, yeah. You know, like there's so much, like um, I use a lot of chocolate so I'd kind of get white chocolate and I'd mix it with um, golden syrup and that would kind of make this um, so like a clay, like an edible clay, like modelling chocolate that you can kind of use and you can sculpt it like any other clay, except it's really tasty. And um, then I'd kind of mould that over like a chocolate cake or a vanilla cake. And then I would use like vodka, just a very little bit of vodka, so I won't be getting the kids all drunk, but a very <laughs> little bit of vodka and I'd mix that with like um, food gels to make my paint. And uh, that would kind of make um, an edible paint like a watercolour based paint. Oh, wow. There's so many different ways of painting on cakes at the moment. Like four years ago, there was none, but it's just taken off over lockdown. Really. And, and what's the the what's the fun what's the what's the most fun one that you've made so far? What's the one that you really enjoyed making? Do you know, at the start, I was making kind of funny ones to do with comedies and stuff. But I think the more controversial, <laughs> the more fun <laughs> they become. <laughs> do you know, when it's kind of more shock value. I wasn't shocked me at the start, but now I realised that people. Uh, so I kind of loved sculpting people's faces. And I loved doing, um, i done a painting of a restoration um, that went wrong over in Spain. Oh, um, I remember that. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Yeah. People were kind of shocked by that, but I just thought it was funny because it was just a replica and um, it, it was very tasty. But that, that kind of went viral um, on Instagram. I'll just that. I'll just explain to listeners. So there is a very famous painting in a church in Spain and somebody decided to do their own restoration of it and it effectively went from being a beautiful, I think it was a Renaissance piece of work. It was, yeah. I think it was, yeah, there was like the 19th century or something. Yes, yeah, it, was it was a fabulous stunning. piece of work and then it literally looked like something Mr oh, Bean would so do. bad. It was so bad. You feel bad saying that because the woman was trying I really know. hard, you know, but she went up and started painting on this wall like in uh, a church. But the supposedly you now they do really well and they have loads of tourists going over so I just thought it would be a fun subject to kind of um, make on a cake really so I just kind of went with it <laughs> and, and where can people see some of your creations do you have a do you have a social a media page with the with the photographs yeah no I just have I mean the normal social like um, my Instagram and my Facebook is uh, Jen's Bakey Cakey so that's where you can find Je- me Jenny's Bakey Cakey yeah. I love it absolutely love it that's <laughs> didn't think about it too deeply at the time but yeah and now it's kind of caught on you know the name so that's brilliant. Well, um, it definitely sounds. Oh, it sounds. I'm, I'm hungry now. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> they are amazing and uh, absolutely. Well, congratulations. Um, I'm delighted, and I hope it uh, it all continues to go well. Um, and I'll definitely keep track of that. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for talking to me. Cheers. Are you you too. Bye. <laughs> so that was Jenny Moran, um, who creates edible art. Um, absolutely fabulous. So, uh, Louise, we are driving. We are driving into. Um, we're going into drive, going into our, our last song of the of the day. And I'd like to thank Louise uh, in here for helping me with all the gremlins, getting our guests on. Uh, on. And um, Eddie is up with drive time just after. So I am leaving you with uh, Louis Capaldi um, and enjoy. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.